Good morning, church. You know, I always say that. I just missed it by like two minutes. Good afternoon, church. (laughs) We were really, really close. Let's see. I think I did this last week. I'll try it one more time. I heard from... uh, from our uh, family in the garden chapel that they really appreciated, they didn't look at my back. So I'll put it here. Uh, funny story, one time I was at a church and um, uh, we were renting this facility and uh, I got up there and I realized that the pulpit had wheels. And I said, hey, this is great. And I brought it down on the floor and I could go right up to people, you know, wheel it up right up to them and here we are, right in the word, right? <laughs> This is great. The Pope has his mobile. Pastor John's got his portable pulpit. And I was good. This one doesn't have wheels. It's a little heavier. So I'm not able to do that. Uh, before I get going uh, today, I'm going to ask Jerry to come on up here. And uh, he was here at first service. I didn't know he was, I, had, I forgot that he was going to be singing with the team. And so I hadn't wrapped it yet. And uh, so he was coming in and out of my office this morning. I'm like, huh, trying to hide it, you know, and finally did it. But uh, anyways, Jerry uh, has been one of our worship leaders for quite a while. He's been part of this church for about seven years, I think we discovered. Active with the young adult group and, and one of key people with our transitional home that we had for a little while. Um, but just has been such a wonderful part of this community. And especially, I just thank you for all your leadership and worship. Um, every time you lead worship, it just comes from your heart, from an authentic place, you know, and just being real with us. I appreciate that. Uh, we never paid him, so he could never afford shoes. But, um, you know, <laughs> but you need to understand. <laughs> we bought one sandal. You have to buy the other one. But we, we, got, we got Jerry a little something. Uh, he likes to do a lot of out, outdoor activity. He likes to you know, ride, run, hike, all kinds of different things. Um, and he, uh, he's going to be thirsty. So we got him this, this bottle. It says, Jerry, we love you, Calamesa SDA. So that wherever he is, out and about, he will always remember who we are and how much we love him. I'm so going to use that. Here, so. And we got him a book. You can do some reading, you know, while you're out and about and, and a card. But, Jerry, we're going to miss you, bud. We love you. I think, uh, I think I heard he's going to Colorado. And I heard something about maybe the Pacific Coast Trail for a while or something. Yeah. So when you're out there and you're with all those wild animals, remember Calamesa SDA loves you. <laughs> All right, good deal. Um, also, uh, you know, my heart, I just got to say, I was sitting on the very back pew against the wall back there, and just my heart was just so full of joy. Um, and it, it just feels like it's in an overflow right now. Just so blessed being here, worshiping with everybody, and then, and then to see all of our high schoolers up here getting ready to go on a mission trip this week. Didn't that just bless you? You know, about 20, some of them going to L.A. for the week, and... and um, Man, you guys just got, you're going to see God all over the place, and you get to partner with him in all kinds of fun and out-of-the-box ways. So just do some radical stuff for Jesus out there. It's going to be awesome. And Pastor Aaron, wherever you are, if you're still in here or not, um, just thanks for your leadership. really appreciate that. Um, also, yesterday was my wife's birthday, so uh, got to celebrate yesterday. 
And then today is my daughter's, yeah, you can, that's good. Yeah, go, thank you, Jim. That's good. <laughs> but, uh, today is my daughter's 16th birthday. So yeah, sweet 16. So I can remember when we got here, she was going into fourth grade and Angie's going into fifth. And I'm just blessed looking at our worship team up here and seeing Zach on the piano and Drew on the guitar and Joyce singing. I mean, I still remember these guys were like barely up to my waist running up and down the basketball court on Saturday night, you know? And now they're a part of helping leading you all in worship. Isn't it just awesome to be part of Calamesa? Just love it. So thank you so much, Grace, for your leadership and drawing in who we are as Calamesa. Really, really appreciate it. All right, we're going to get to sermon sometime here. Um, just a reminder, next week we start August in Calamesa. So um, we have great speakers coming up. Uh, I'm excited to hear Saul next week. I'll never. F- Do you remember that sermon, Fish Tacos? Do you remember that one? Jesus is feeding the 5,000, and he's like, he gave him fish tacos. I love that. It's so great. Um, so Saul will be with us. Of course, uh, Dr. Pauline, one of our own here. We're looking forward to... Uh, I like that. I think I saw him here today somewhere. Is he here? Yeah, that play on words, right? Babylon or gate of God. I like that. We're going to have fun here in that one. Great to have um, Dr. Kendra Holoviak-Valentine with us. Been trying to get her here August after August, but she always goes to Australia because her husband's Australian and they go back there every year. So we're blessed to have her this year for August. And of course, one of our own as well, uh, Dr. Ted Levtorov is going to come and share with us on that final week. Also, don't forget Friday night, August 12th. So a week from this coming Friday night, two weeks from yesterday, we will have Mary Cushenberry reciting the entire book of Revelation from memory. Amen. Yeah, so come on out for that. It's 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. You don't want to miss that. If you can make it out, definitely plan to be here. Lots of great music and concerts. Of course, our big social on the last Saturday night of the month. Um, plenty of ways to be blessed. So, and thank you, Dr. Bob, for all your work on August and Calamace and everything that you're doing. So, so blessed by all that you do for us here. All right, it's time to get to a sermon so you guys can make it to lunch, right, or something. Uh, Today I wanted to focus on a passage that is quite loaded, if you will, and I'm of course not going to be able to hit everything, but uh, I want to look at 2 Peter today, the first chapter, and uh, I've called today's sermon Partakers of the Divine Nature. Now some of you uh, may look at that and go, okay, Pastor John is really kind of going out on the New Age thing, uh, getting quite mystical on us. Where's he going? Partakers of the divine nature. Uh, But rest assured, this is actually from Scripture. And we're going to see that in 2 Peter chapter 1. The picture that I put up on the screen for us today is Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. Many of you have probably seen it, familiar with it, on the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling uh, at the Vatican. And um, it, it's always fascinated me. Now, I, uh, I edited the picture so that it could be uh, family-friendly for the Sabbath worship hour. <laughs> um, so parents, it's okay, it's good. Um, but John Ortberg, in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, talks about this painting. The very beginning of his book, if you haven't read the book, I, I recommend it highly. God is Closer Than You Think. It's several years old. A great read. He talks about when he and his wife were there at the Vatican and looking at the picture. And he says, um, if you look carefully at the painting, you notice that the figure of God is extended toward the man with great vigor. He twists his body to move it as close to the man as possible. His head is turned toward the man and his gaze is fixed on him. 
God's arm is stretched out, his index finger extended straight forward, and every muscle is taut. Before Michelangelo, art scholars say the standard paintings of creation showed God standing on the ground, in effect helping Adam to his feet, but not here. This is God rushing toward Adam on a cloud. One of the chariots of heaven propelled by the angels. And then in parentheses he says, in our day they don't look quite uh, aerobicized enough to move really fast. But in Michelangelo's day the angels suggested power and swiftness. It is as if even in the midst of the splendor of all creation, God's entire being is wrapped up in his impatient desire to close the gap between himself and this man. He can't wait. His hand comes within a hairbreadth of the man's hand. The painting is traditionally called the creation of Adam, but some scholars say it should be called the endowment of Adam. Adam has already been given physical life. His eyes are open and he is conscious. What is happening is that he's being offered life with God. All of man's potential, physical and spiritual, is contained in this one timeless moment, writes one art critic. Apparently, one of the messages that Michelangelo wanted to convey is God's implacable determination to reach out to and be with the person he has created. God is as close as he can be, but having come that close, he allows just a little space so that Adam can choose. He waits for Adam to make his move. Adam is more difficult to interpret. His arm is partially extended toward God, but his body reclines in a lazy pose leaning backward as if he has no interest at all in making a connection. Maybe he assumes that God, having come this far, will close the gap. Maybe he is indifferent to the possibility of touching his creator. Maybe he lacks the strength. All he would have to do is lift a finger. Orpah goes on and he says this, The story of the Bible isn't primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It's the desire of God to be with people. Let that sink in here this morning, church. The story of the Bible is not primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It's the desire of God to be with people. This book, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's true, isn't it? Not the desire of people to be with God, but of God to be with you. Of God to be with me. Of God to be with us. Second Peter chapter 1. Peter writes these words. There's only three chapters in the book. I encourage you to take some time, maybe later today when you're when you're home or maybe this week, to just read the entire book. It's only three chapters long. And Peter writes this letter, and he says he's a servant, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them 
you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, verse 5 says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whew. That is a full section, isn't it? It's rich. It's what we would say it's pregnant, full, and ready to be delivered. Now, I don't know what you heard in that reading. There may be things in there that you heard that made you rejoice. There may be some things that you heard in there that made you cringe. There may be some things that made you happy and felt incredibly grateful to God, and there may be some things that made you feel a little anxious and disturbed. Let me touch on the first section, if you will. Grace and peace be yours, verse 2, in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Church, I just want to make it very clear before we get into verses 5 and on. Isn't it good, isn't it good that we are saved solely on the merits of Jesus Christ? Solely on the merits of Jesus Christ. If it weren't so, Jesus would have never had to come. But because he went to the cross and he died and he rose again, he showed us that we need a Savior. That's why elsewhere when Paul writes, it is by grace you've been saved, not by works, right? Let me just pull up another passage just so we can help this sink home a little bit, okay? Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. What is, let's just read it together, okay? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Can you say amen to that? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has provided for us everything we need, the scripture says, for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, not for our glory and goodness, because of his own goodness and his own glory, he has come to us and he's provided everything we need to live a godly life. Godly life is not lived by us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying harder and trying harder. The scripture says it's through knowledge of Jesus, not knowledge about but this word is this knowing, this intimate knowing of relationship. We can know all the theology about Jesus. We can know about him. It doesn't change us, does it? 
Remember the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders? They knew Jesus. They knew about him. They knew a lot about him. But they didn't know him. And so they weren't changing. The book of James says even the de- demons believe. But they don't know him. They don't know him. It's that intimate knowledge of knowing him in which we gain that divine power through him that we need for a godly life. But I love that it says his divine power has given us most of what we need. Is that what it says? No. Everything. Everything you and I need to live a godly life is found in Jesus Christ. Everything. There's nowhere else to look. If you're looking anywhere else for power to live a godly life, you're looking in the wrong place. Jesus is the only place. It's not found in various beliefs or doctrines. It's not found in organizations. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And he's offering us everything of his divine power and nature to live in us. He goes on in verse 4, Peter says, Through these, his glory and greatness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Why? So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, God's word is full of his promises, isn't it? Full of promises from the Old Testament through the New Testament. And when we take God at his word, when we trust him and we trust our life with him, when he says to obey or do this or do that, and we trust him with that, we participate with him. We participate with him in his nature. And as his Holy Spirit lives in us, his very nature lives in us and transforms our hearts and our minds, the Bible calls it new creation. New creation. Christ being formed in us, the nature of Christ being formed in us. And we trust him with those promises. Now, I just pulled up seven of Jesus, the seven I am statements of Jesus and John. These are statements Jesus made. There are, there are so many more in the Bible. But what if we just said, I'm going to trust Jesus in these seven things that he says? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You want the light of life? It's Jesus. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Will I follow the shepherd? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as I touched on last week, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If I take Jesus at his word and I trust him, even just on these seven things, and I I trust him in my life in those areas, I participate with him. I 
participate in knowing him intimately. And as I trust him, his divine nature begins to change me one step at a time, one step at a time. We participate with God. But there's an interesting phrase here in verse 4. It says, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And it says, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, this is an interesting phrase in the original, the original language. Because we might read this and say, well, as I participate with him in his promises and his divine nature, I escape the corruption that's in the world caused by evil desires. Yes, that's true. That's going to happen. But the way this actually is in the original is that, is that by escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, I participate with him. Let me explain this a little bit more. We all make choices, right? Every day, I hope. <laughs> we're not just doing what everybody tells us to do, right? We're, we're making choices. And I like to tell people oftentimes when, um, when, when I'm counseling with them that understand that whenever you say no to something, you're saying yes to something. And whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. It's always the case, okay? When I choose to go to my freezer and hope to find Ben and Jerry's ice cream in the freezer, I'm making a choice. I'm saying yes to Ben and Jerry. It's a relationship, right? Yes to Ben and Jerry and no to my physical health. Now, not detrimentally for, now if I did that every day, then there'd be a problem, right? But if consistently through the week I say no to Ben and Jerry, right, and I say yes to better choices, then overall it's a better thing, right? When I say no to things that maybe my friends are encouraging me to do, that could be bad for others and myself, I'm saying yes to healthier relationships maybe over here and honoring God and other things over here. Does that make sense? We make choices. And so what's happening here as well is that when I say, you know, I choose not to participate in this over here because Jesus is asking me to be here and do this with him, I participate with him participate with him and I participate in his divine nature and with what he's up to and what he's doing this week as we saw our youth our youth are saying no to a lot of things they'll be doing back home they're gonna one big thing is they're gonna be saying no to their cell phones for a long time why because they're saying yes to Jesus they're gonna participate with him in his divine nature in the streets of LA wow it's going to be powerful. And so because we have this awesome invitation from Jesus, because, because God has saved us and God has rescued us through Jesus, he now has also something for us. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ.
All right. It's easy sometimes when we get to this section to look at that list and go, oh, okay, here come the works. But this, understand, this is not, I forgot, I wish I could, uh, I could say who I got this from because I didn't come up with it myself, but I can't remember where I heard this from. But this is a list of not what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. See the difference? I love how that was phrased wherever I read that or heard that somewhere. This is what God wants for us, not from us. God wants us. I mean, doesn't every human being want goodness? Knowledge? Now, this knowledge is in knowing God in that relationship. More self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love or mutual affection and love. All these things the world is crying out for, trying to buy. And it comes through Jesus. And this is what he wants for us. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Make every effort to add. Now, this word add is easy just to go over. Oh, let's just add, like add that. But this word in the original language, this word is actually where we get our word chorus and choreographer and choreography from. Choreography, if I could say that. And back in, in, uh, in, in Greece... They had, of course, these big, you know, plays and, and theater and so forth. And there were some very wealthy people who would supply all the things that were needed for those productions so that the actors and actresses and everything could, could do everything they needed to do and not have to, they don't have to come up with the, all the money to do it. It was provided for them. It was lavishly poured out on them to do that. And that's where this word comes from. So it says, for this very reason, because of what God has done for us and what he's providing for us, make every effort to lavishly, Pour out and add to your faith goodness. What this means, church, is not Jesus and his kingdom is not the supplement for your success here on earth. He is your everything. He is the center and he is everything for who we are and what we're about. And then everything else in our life is about his kingdom. So Jesus is not my supplement that I take every morning to hopefully help me be successful in my career. My career then becomes where I mission with God for his kingdom and loving God and loving others. Make every effort to add this. You know, I've been reading a book, very slowly, but I've been reading a book uh, by a sports psychologist. And he talks about how his work with very famous clients and he talked about, in one of his chapters, about working with LeBron James. And uh, if you're familiar with LeBron James, he's an incredible basketball player. You look at him and you're like, man, alive. What, what, a, what a physique. What skill and ability he has. I mean, I think he's what? Some of you will know he's like 6'8", 6'10", somewhere in there. Um, weighs like probably 260 pounds or something. Lean and can run the floor like, like a point guard can shoot the three-point, can do all kinds of things. And if you followed the NBA championship recently, uh, you know how incredible he did the stats that he put up and so forth. And you can look at someone like that and go, yeah, but, I mean, come on, he's got the DNA, he's got the genetics. The sports psychologist was talking about how he was working with LeBron James, and he says, all right, now, one of the things I want you to do every day is you need to take, you need to make 400 three-point shots a day. 
400 three-point shots a day. 200 off the dribble and 200 from the pass. And so he does it. And let me ask you a question. When he goes to take a three-point shot in a game, do you think he's expecting to make it? <laughs> he's shocked if he doesn't, right? But he's got the abilities. God has given him the gifts. But now, how would that be if he says, well, I, I've got it. God's given it to me. I'm just going to sit on the couch and practice my three-point shot with the thumbs. Is that going to make it happen? No. God has called us. He's put it in our DNA. He's, he's given us his grace and his power and his divine nature offered to us. He says, now come with me. And you're going to need to put some effort into this. Right? Part of being a disciple, that word discipline comes from the word disciple. And when he called his 12, they went. And they didn't just, he didn't say, well, come follow the show. He said, now come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do what I ask you to do. Trust me. I'm going to train you because you're going to, I'm going to change the world through you. And they did. Did the disciples work hard? Absolutely. Not work hard to earn God's favor and God's grace, but because of God's grace working harder through them. But they made every effort to add to their faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and self-control and perseverance. I love that word perseverance. You know, one of the things I love about us as Cala Mesa is that we have these mixed generations. And we have, a, we have a good amount of classics among us. You know what I love about you classics? You show us what it's like to keep showing up. You keep, not just to the worship services, but to keep showing up with Jesus in the missions, in the work in the community, in serving. You show us over and over. You just keep showing up. Keep showing up with Jesus. And I love that. There are churches today who are missing classics, and they don't know what it's like to keep showing up. I love it. Betty Streifling was here today at first service. I think she's about 103 now. And I remember on her 100th birthday, and she was here, and we said, give us some words of wisdom. And she said, just keep trusting Jesus. I've trusted him my whole life, and he's always been there, and he's always provided. Keep trusting and obeying Jesus. I'm like, that's all you need. Just keep showing up with Jesus. Perseverance. And persevere. And to perseverance, godliness. What this means basically is a, a spirit of humility before God. That's what Jesus had before the Father. Mutual affection, brotherly love, and mutual affection, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love, uh, there's a songwriter, his name is John Foreman. He's with a band called Switchfoot. I know it sounds weird. Um, but in surfing, there's a term called Switchfoot. It's when you change your stance, you know, your regular foot or goofy foot. But it has deeper meaning for this band. They're Christians, and their meaning of choosing Switchfoot, they're all surfers as well. They could have been professional surfers, but God led them down this way with music. But their whole thing is that as Christians, we want to switch foot, you know. We want to we change our stance from what the world is offering. And one of the songs that just came out recently on their new album, and the title says it all, I found God the day I lost myself. I found God the day I lost myself. And that's what I hear part of this having here. 
prepossess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. It's kind of like that. Have you seen the, maybe some of you are playing it, you know, the Pokemon game, right? You see these people walking down the streets, you know, maybe in your neighborhood, they're like this. Walking out into the street, you know, and they're like, it's like their nearsightedness is making them blind to everything else around them. And just, there it is. That's kind of like what, what Peter's saying here. Whoever, not, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. You're forgetting that you've been cleansed from their past sins. You see, this list doesn't come from an empty heart. It comes from a full heart. Full of God's love full of God's grace, God's power. Obedience, when it doesn't come from a full heart, when it's coming from an empty heart, all it is is anxiety. Anxiety and fear, criticalness, judgmental. But when obedience comes from a full heart, there's love. All of these things that we see here, it's what God wants for us. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, there's a lot here, but what I'm going to say just briefly, because I've already gone too long, is that this calling and election is not some special right. It's not like you're predestined and so forth, and it's not like, oh, I've been called, I've been elected. Have you been called and elected? Are you in? Are you out? That's not what it's saying. It's showing that the only reason we're here is because God calls us. All of us. God calls out to all of humanity, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, whoever, right? That's where God's people in the Old Testament messed up. Oh, God chose us. We're elected. We're chosen. And you're not. They forgot that God called them for a responsibility, not for a special right. And that's what God calls us to as well. His love and everything is a free gift to us. And he says, now give it away. Just give it away to everybody. I've called you to be with me and to serve with me and to make a difference in this world, to love. That's what you've been chosen for. And this thing about, for if you do these, you will never stumble, doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. We, we all know we have a long way to go, right? <laughs> But isn't it great that hopefully by the grace of God, there's less of that as we continue to walk with him and participate with him? To be free from some of the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that we've had for so much of our life? Yes. In verse 11, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. Well, first, let me just read this to you. This is, this is way back, April 24, 1900. Ellen White's writing the Review and Herald. I love this quote. I forgot to share this in first service. As we partake of the divine nature, hereditary and cultivated tendencies to wrong are cut away from the character and we are made a living power for good. Ever learning of the divine teacher, daily partaking of his nature, we cooperate with God in overcoming Satan's temptations. God works and man works. That man may be one with Christ as Christ is one with God. Then we sit together with Christ in heavenly places. Listen to this last line. The mind rests with peace and assurance in Jesus. 
Wow. It's awesome. So let me ask you this question. Thinking of verse 11 in the kingdom. Is God's kingdom eternal now? Yes. I would say yes. If I choose to live in his kingdom now, will his kingdom ever come to an end? Do I have to worry at all about his kingdom failing or shutting down or ending at any point now or in the future? It says his kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you. When? Is this something we are waiting for can it, or can it happen today? Can I then enjoy it forever and eternally? Yes. Yes, when Jesus comes back, his kingdom will be fully realized. But church, his kingdom is forever now. And as we participate with him in his divine nature, we allow his kingdom to reign. And we are part of his eternal kingdom now, even if we die. Because when he comes again, we just continue into his reign forever. The very end of Second Peter, the third chapter, the last two verses, Peter writes these words. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Last night, I was in the car with my daughter, Alana. We were listening to a song called Hosanna, some of you are familiar with, by a group uh, called Hillsong. And as we, were, as we were listening to the song, I was thinking to myself, you know, my favorite part of the song is the bridge in this song. And she said, without knowing I was thinking it, my favorite part of the song is the bridge. <laughs> And I said, really? Go, that's my favorite part of the song. So she goes, let's put it back and listen to it again. So we put it on. Listen to the bridge. I love these words. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you've loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity participating in the divine nature. Let's pray. Jesus, what an honor and a joy it is to participate with you. We get to participate with God Almighty in your nature, your power. Jesus, there are many things in this life on a daily basis that cry out for our attention, that cry out to say, this is urgent. This has to happen now. These things are more urgent than the kingdom of God. God, forgive us when we've been on autopilot. Lord, this week as we move forward in our relationship with you, we need your grace and your power, your nature, to make every effort to lean into you, to trust your promises and to participate with you in your nature. And thank you, Jesus, that through you, we can escape the power and the grip of sin in this world. But Lord, may we never get to a place where we think we are privileged, more privileged. But Lord, as you call us to participate in your divine nature, you call us to go into the world and to love like you have loved. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer with Jesus this morning?
Now as we go, may we go participating with the divine nature this week. God bless you.